morning, everyone. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed to walk up front. It is so exciting to see how excited they are to leave, aren't, isn't it? Yeah, woohoo, there we go. To go over there where they have snacks and play. So I, um, I want you to think of this question, and, and it's going to pop up on the screen, but before it does, oh, good job. Uh, before it does, I, I want you to really openly, honestly, bluntly answer this within your head, okay? Really, not just a, a dumb, quick answer, but a real honest answer. So here's the question. What would make you say, now I can die in peace? Is it up there? What could, what would it make, uh, what would make you say that phrase? People say this after they, they meet a sports hero or some celebrity. Some might say this once they fulfilled something off their bucket list. But what would truly make you not just say it, but really mean, now I can die in peace? Peace is one of those topics that people want, but we don't know how to get and definitely don't know how to keep it. People want peace. You have to want world peace if you're going to win a beauty pageant. That's just one of the answers you have to give, apparently. If you're ever on TV, many people give the, the peace sign, right? It's what every mother wants to accompany the quiet. We want peace. But how do we get it? And how do we keep it? What does it mean to be in peace? The man we're going to look at today says this amazing statement. It's, it's a proclamation, really. And we're going to look at what he said and how he said it and see if we can have that same type of peace and what it takes to have in our own lives. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms. He praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many's hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Here we have this new couple, this new parents. They're going to the temple as custom is required. And while there, this old guy walks up and picks up their newborn. He says some very bold statements. Now, first off, what does it take for some old guy you don't know to just come up and pick up your kid? I mean, many moms, first-time moms, 
Oh, you don't let your, anybody pick up your child. Once you've had two or three, you're like, yeah, take them. There you go. Okay, but that first one. And here this old guy comes up, picks him up. And he says a statement. Comes up, grabs the child and says, oh, now I can die in peace. Not with my child. I mean, really put yourself in this. And this struck me. When he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you promised. This really struck out to me. And and it's going to be the focal. We're not really going to move away from this part of the Scripture. Simeon has received a promise from God. And when it comes to fulfillment, when he sees this child, Jesus, he responds with this sentiment, this statement, this proclamation that he can now die in peace. Which is why we started this sermon off with that question. We say it when we're, oh, I met this person. Oh, I, I've done this deed. And we say it in a joking manner, but Simeon isn't joking. This arises deep within him from a strong, fortified faith. To understand why he'd say this, we have to look at a couple other things that are in this passage. First, there's two titles that Simeon calls God. He calls him Sovereign and he calls him Lord. Those are titles we don't use today, and we got to unpack each of these. Sovereign. The idea of sovereignty of God is that God is the highest ruler in the universe. No one, no thing is above him. He is above all. He is sovereign. He has power, ruling authority over all things. And it's essential we understand that this does not mean God dictates everything, but he allows things to happen. He has power over things, but he doesn't micromanage and control each thing. He has given people free will. People do evil. That is not God's will. God does not direct people to do evil things. We have been given this freedom to choose, even though He is sovereign. God has foreknowledge, but He does not force us to do things, especially evil deeds. Our freedom is essential because it's the only way that we can choose to love God, which makes it meaningful. And so God has given us this free will because of His sovereignty. Because He's sovereign, He is still going to accomplish His will. So how do we handle the idea of sovereignty, having this power over all, and our free will? Last year, I I was teaching a Sunday school uh, lesson through the book of Revelation. We see there are lots of things in the future that God says are going to happen. His will is going to orchestrate these things so that they will come to pass. But how does that happen with free will? What if I choose not to do those things? One way to help this, I read this um, analogy and I thought it was perfect. If I chose to sit down and play the number one ranking chess player in the world, I would lose very easily. And here's why. He would place his positions, he would put them in the right things, forcing me to choose one or a few options so he knew which way he was going to go. I've read books and I've talked to people who are masters at at chess, and when they sit down, they already have a game play. If this person does this, I am doing this to make them go here. I want to push them over to this spot so I can do this. And that's what God does. He starts orchestrating events, and he moves this pawn over here, and he moves this rook over here, so that we're like, either do God's will or go over here. I think I'll do this one. And he makes it an obvious choice, but without taking away the choice. 
I, I think that's a helpful, it's not a perfect, but a helpful analogy of how God is sovereign and accomplishes His will through our freedom of, of uh, our free will. It's also worth noting that the fact that God is sovereign doesn't mean He has sovereignty over, well, He has sovereignty, but He doesn't have specific wills over every little thing in our life. Some people presume every little detail. I've talked to people that before I, I go to the dresser, I ask God, what do you want me to wear today? And I've heard people say, well, i got to know, which street do you want me to take, God, on my way to work? That, that's, that's a cumbersome life. There's no joy in that. I talked to a minister once who was um, had a choice of either going and starting a brand new church in this one area or accepting a position at this well-established church. And I said, so which one are you going to? He goes, I'm waiting for God to give me an answer. I'm like, great. A month later, I said, so what, what's going on? He goes, God hasn't given me an answer. He's just letting me choose. That's awesome, isn't it? That God's saying, hey, I trust you, I believe in you, and I'm going to give you the freedom of this. I'm not closing the door. I'm going to bless which one you choose based on what you want. And we can do that. God did not bring me into Casey's life. That's my wife. But he did bring her to mine. And, and there's a difference. He, he said, hey, look at her. She, this is, she's not here, so I can talk about her. <laughs> but she'll, re, she'll listen to this on Monday or Tuesday, and then I'll get in trouble. We were in the same class, the same classroom in fifth grade. She does not remember me until eighth grade. I can tell you where she was sitting in fifth grade. God gave her an opportunity. He said, Donnie, watch her. There's a difference of orchestrating and making sure every minute little thing is. And God is trying to tell sometimes, hey, you have freedom of choice. Go for that. Just put me in the knowledge of it. Base it upon what you know of me. And God wants to do that with free will. He wants us to trust Him and place it on Him. It's a good idea to pray through things, seek His direction, but sometimes the lack of an answer on those matters is an indication that God wants to bless you in the direction that you choose. Now, having said all that on the table, the big idea of God's sovereignty within this passage obviously brings Jesus into the world. His birth has been prophesied in the Old Testament. It's part of the grand plan of God. God is sovereign and has the power to bring about what he has ordained. And Simeon also understands that, which is why he says sovereign in this title. But he also says the word Lord. Lord, uh, to call God Lord is to acknowledge that you are personally having him in charge of your life. For Christian, it's a statement of personal relationship of your boss, of your personal leader. So he is sovereign. He's powerful over all things. And I am choosing to place my life into his hands. He is my Lord. For Christians, it is a statement that we need to live under. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Savior part points us to the need of us getting forgiveness and grace from Him through the cross. The Lord part is our desire to follow Him, to obey Him. And that's what Simeon is saying. Sovereign Lord. That's what he calls God. I think it's the title we need to understand and incorporate in our lives. Not only did Simeon 
uh, called God's sovereign and Lord. But Simeon also believed that God keeps his promises. He believes and trusts that God keeps his promises. Look again at verse 25. At their time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout. Listen to these things here. He was righteous and devout and eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Wouldn't that be great if those were descriptions of us? If we were called righteous, devout, and eagerly awaiting the Messiah. Because of these things, you go to the next part, the Holy Spirit was upon him and had uh, revealed to him that he would not die until he seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led led him to the temple, so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. We see the promise in verse 26. You're not going to die until you see the promised one. We don't have details that he said he's going to be this, he's going to be wrapped in this. You're going to see the child. You're going to see the Messiah. didn't even say it was a child. And yet he knew the Spirit gave him this promise. Then the Spirit prompts him to go to the to the temple. And here we see that free will. He's trusting God as Lord. He obeyed. Hmm, God wants me to go to the temple. I better go. He obeyed. He chose to his own free will to follow God as his Lord. He based his life on the fact that God keeps his promises. Today, God is still good for his promises. There are promises that I hold on to dearly. There's one that affects our family that we pray for every night, and we are waiting on it. And it is so hard when you're waiting for an answered promise. And many times, Satan is right there knocking, saying, oh, he doesn't care. Maybe he really didn't mean it. Maybe you just misunderstood it, and God's not that kind of a God. Remember, he's far off. He's... And every time I have to choose, my family, we have to choose. No, we're going to trust in the promise of God. It's not forced. It's a choice, and that's what Simeon is doing. And with this, we need to be clear, or be careful to make sure that what we hear as God's promises is really from the Holy Spirit, from His Word, and not something else. Many times I've heard people say, well, I know God has led me to this. I'm like, no, no, that that was lust. No, that was your desire to not be alone. No, that's just you chasing the almighty dollar. Well, God wants me to be happy. Time out. That is never a promise from God. To be happy. He's to give you joy. He wants to give you life to the fullness. But this world is not where He wants you to experience all of it. He wants us pointed to the eternity. That's where it's... Does God want you... To, I'll tell you right now, as a parent, I don't always want my kids happy. What makes them happy can be wrong and sinful. And so I don't want them to have that. And that'll make them mad. And I'm being a good parent. I learned that from God. And so it's not God wanting us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. Not happy. Happy is fleeting. Joyful is eternal. 
So we need to understand that it could be our own emotions, it could be Satan, it could be our lack of spiritual discernment, and and there are other options. We truly need to be able to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, the truth of Scripture. We need to hear every promise that we think is from God and go right to Scripture and find it. If you cannot find it in the Scripture, I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably not from God. Okay? If you hear a promise and you think it's from God, but you cannot find it in the Bible, set it aside. There we know we have the true word in the Scripture. It is still up to us, though, to live up to what we read. Do we believe that God will come through with us? This is a question we really need. Do you believe that God is going to bless your life? He promised it to bless your life. It may not be the way we want it. But will He bless your life? Do you believe that God will lead you? Remember, though I walk through the valley of what? Shadow of death. That's not where I want to go. But he leads. Will he lead you through it? Hmm. Do you believe that God is going to complete, fulfill every promise that he's given you? That's what Simeon was doing. That's why he could hear the Spirit. Because he lived a life that was not only believing it, but obeying it. And that's what we need today. People who are righteous, devout, eagerly waiting, and ready to obey. God's calling me. Okay. There was a guy I talked to, he was a minister some time ago. He's, he's dead and gone now. He got picked up at the airport because he was going to go do some uh, preaching at a different church. And on the way, I'm not kidding, this is what he's doing, because I talked to the elder that was driving him. And this minister said, I need you to pull over. They're in the middle of this downtown big area. He says, I need you to pull over right over there. Why? Just just pull over. And so the elder pulled over, and Louis got out, and he walked over to some guy, and he's muttering something. The elder's watching him, and he's just mumbling until he walks around, and then he comes up to this guy, starts talking to him. And this elder's like, what is going on? And after about 15 minutes or so, they hugged, prayed together, and then Louis got back in the car and said, okay, we can go. He goes, do you know that man? No. Well, how'd you know he's going to be here? Well, I kept praying today, and I knew God wanted me to talk to someone, and I just felt like it was now. And that guy was going through a recent divorce because his child had died, and it caused that rift in that family. And then he wanted his wife back but didn't know what to do, and here was Louis. He walked over to him, or to him and talked to him about it. I guess it was at the church at those special meetings and preachings they were having, that man with his wife. Well, he was righteous, devout, eagerly waiting. And he heard the prompting of the Spirit so much he said, pull over in a bad part of the neighborhood just so he could obey. Do you believe God fulfills promises? Because I do. He is sovereign. He is Lord. Now, having unpacked that, let's lead, uh, turn to the question to where this led to Simeon. In verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. He was fully invested into what the Spirit gave him. 
I know I'm going to see this, this Savior. I know God is going to fulfill this. He didn't respond with, sure, whatever, when the Spirit said, I need you to go to the temple. He, he didn't respond with, I guess that'll be all right. I got time for that. He deeply wanted to see this fulfillment. After all, this was the great promise, the long-awaited Messiah. Simeon was eager, waiting, and watching. Now that phrase that I asked you in the beginning, now I can die in peace. Simeon says this with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He declares that he has seen the promise of God, and now he can leave this world in peace. And that's the statement. Don't you want to be able to face the grave in peace? Not in fear. Not in regret. But in peace. We know the statement in 29, in verse 29, there's about dying because the promise in 26 is you will not die until this happens. So if anybody ever says that, well, he was not saying it's a rhetorical statement. No, he's really meaning this. He has seen the Messiah, and he says, I have great contentment. I have fulfilled my life in this. My life comes to the Savior, the Messiah, and it's all good now. I can go home. We need to dwell on that. Isn't that the point of this? I've seen Jesus. I can go to heaven. I have seen Jesus He says, Simeon, seeing the fulfillment of God's promise, brought about a deep contentment. There's a lot of talk in this world, in our culture, about a life worth living. Are we dying for a couple of more college degrees? Dying to have more stacks of money? Dying to have our family near you? Dying with all these career accomplishments? And while those things, none of those are intrinsically bad, they are not enough. Not enough to have a deep contentment. Not enough that when you're on your deathbed, you can say, I can die in peace. Not the way Simeon was. What do we need so that we can have that same contentment? Answer this, okay? What do you really, really, really want? What do you really, really, really want? Okay? Now, I didn't want to just say, what do you want? Because we get that every December and people rattle off all the... I didn't say, what do you really want? Because uh, Nick Helbert's going to talk to me about the best piece of bacon he has ever eaten. You know what I really want right now? A piece of bacon. But it's not, it's more than, what do you really, really, really want? It'd be easy to go with jokes, I'd really want a million dollars, or I want to go own a Pacific Island. But in the quiet of your hearts right now, to actually ponder this question, and I put that triple redundancy because I want us to consider the deepest true desire, specifically take the statement that Simeon said, and considered in your life, what would what um, what would be the things in this world that would allow you to die in peace? 
die in peace. I want to see my kids serving the Lord. I want to see all my kids serving God. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you want to know you've made a difference for Jesus, for the kingdom. Maybe you want to find someone you can marry or share your life with or grow together in your faith. Maybe you want... What is it that you really, really, really want? So that you can die in peace someday. We have to be very careful with handling these statements. Simeon had a direct word from the Holy Spirit promising the fulfillment. I do not want to stand here before you today and say whatever you really, really, really want, God is going to fulfill. That's, I, I don't want to say that. I don't have the Holy Spirit prompting to say that to you. That would be irresponsibly and biblically unsound of me to say. There are desires that might obviously line up uh, with the heart of God. There are some things that we just have hope and optimism about. But even then, we have to be cautious. Even then, though, we have to be cautious. Just for an instance, we need to think about these things. Let's say we want to, I want to, I want to die in peace. I want to see this person come to the Lord. Well, that person has free will. God will not force them. He can make every allowance. He can line up all the chess pieces hoping they will make the right move and come into right relationship and therefore in eternity with Him. But they have free will. Here's the point I want to draw out of this. Simeon was focused on what would allow him to die in peace. Verse 25 tells us that he was looking for this. This was his vision. This was his hope. Verse 26 says that he was living in the promise of God. And verse 27 says he moved forward according to it. Now with that, at that time, there's this man in Jerusalem. He was what? Righteous. You want to see a fulfillment of living and dying in peace? Are you seeking to live righteously? He was devout. He wasn't that once in a while. I'll come when I feel like it. He was constantly devout. Devout means promise always there. And I'm not talking about attendance. I'm talking about devotion. And he was, notice, he was righteous and, these are linking words. Here's that English word, and. So it brings them together. Righteous and devout. And eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come, there it is again, and rescue Israel. You see what he's doing here? If you read through that, do you see what he's doing here? Simeon, go to the next slide. He was eagerly waiting, he was listening, and he was obeying. There's that old hymn, Trust and Obey. Oh, some of you are singing it. I knew it. I knew if I said that, you would just, for there's no other way. To be what? To be happy, which is more of the joyful, the contentment, than to trust. And, oh, that's what he's doing. 
He's listening. He's obeying. He is willing and ready. It was a priority for him. How many kids are excited on Christmas Eve? They are eagerly anticipating something, right? They've been trying to live righteously. They are devoted to opening these gifts. And that night, they are... Shouldn't we be doing the same thing with our lives for Christ? Eagerly waiting because I've been living a life that focuses on Him. And I want to go to my deathbed saying, Yes, Lord, take me. I am in peace. I'm not saying I want to hurry it. I'll tell you right now, I don't want to die a painful death. I hope it's a quick one. Because I don't have the pain tolerance. Just ask my wife. Okay? But knowing that I can lay down on whatever that deathbed is, my eyes close, and then they open to the glories of Him, oh, that, that is something that calls. Simeon was willing and ready It was a priority for him. And are we focusing in our lives on the things that will allow us to die in peace? Are we living for and praying towards those things that we really, really, really want? For instance, we've got to get in our 40 hours, right? Life distracts us. We got to get in our time, our 40 hours or plus. You got to get the laundry and get the kids to practice, watch our TV shows, check your social media, and, and on and on. We got to call this person, and oh, I forgot. I got to do this. Don't forget this is broken. And did you go get this? And life distracts. In the midst of all that, sometimes the things that matter the most get put last. Many times we are living for the things that will not allow us. To die in peace. So, let's pull open two of those things I said. Let's say what you really, really, really want is to see your kids, your grandkids, your family, whoever it is, serving the Lord. It is hard to think of more important thing than that, to train and raise them up in the righteousness of the Lord so that they are walking in His path. And let's think a moment for what that means. Because if that's really, really, really what you want, what are you doing to live that out? We need to live a life of loving the Lord as an example to them. We need to involve them in the church in a way that's engaging and building their faith, not required and redundant. We need to pray with a burden for their souls and their lives. Oh, I want my kids to see and serve the Lord, but what am I doing to live that out for them? What am I doing to say that on that deathbed, yes, God, I can die in peace because I saw you do it. What am I doing to be devout and righteous in it? Of course, you say that's obvious, but how many parents and grandparents put spiritual things second, third, even on their priority list. How many have a non-existent personal spiritual life? How many times do those kids see their, the ones who want them serving the Lord, see them reading Scripture, engaging and leading in prayer? Every morning, 
I'm not always the first one up, but every morning I'm up, usually drinking my coffee while the boys were getting ready for school. And you know in the morning before coffee, you don't talk to people. If you're a coffee person, you just don't talk until I've got about that much of a drink. How many times have I failed in making sure they saw me reading Scripture, not playing the game or Facebook? Praying with them before school. Well, that, that would have changed things. And I'm the preacher, and I didn't do those things enough. How many times did I focus on those things? Help them. How many other people don't do anything more than a couple Sunday mornings a month? How many pray harder for their kids' educational success or sports than they do spiritual fulfillment? Maybe we should take a moment and think about what would allow us to depart this world in peace and say, God, how can I live that out? Lead me to do that so it can happen. What if what you said you really, really, really want is to make a difference for Jesus? Well, think about that for a moment and see what it looks like for that to happen in our lives. That means we need to be passionately, and I said that word on purpose, passionately following Jesus every single day. We need to eagerly embrace opportunities to serve God. We have to know that the steps of faith, um, that the steps of faith involve stepping out of our uncomfortable areas. Again, that sounds obvious, but how many of us have a stale personal spiritual life? How many will serve only if no one else raises their hands? Okay, I'll do it. How often do we hold back for fear of failure if we try to serve God in a new way? We should take a moment to think about what would really allow us to depart this world in peace. And then ask God to lead us to that spot. You want your uh, a marriage that is fulfilling and honors God. Are you living your life and conducting it in a way that already is honoring God? I, I've heard people say, "Well, I know God is going to bless my relationship." No, He won't. You're living in sin. He will not bless a sinful relationship. That's in the Bible. I I can't help that. I'd love to bless you, but I can't because He won't. You want to have a godly relationship? Then put God first and help that other person put God first and then come to God together. That's the only way. Don't say you want a marriage that honors God while you're conducting your dating life in a way that honors Satan. I don't think I can get any more blunt on that. When we are pursuing things that please God, we can know that God is delighted with that and, and will do all He can to support us and help us complete what we are pursuing. So I'll use me as an example again. Casey and I did not start out in a very godly relationship at all. It was honoring self, which is honoring Satan. And then God stepped in in a mighty way through an elder and his wife who stepped in and discipled Casey and straighten me up. And this woman that I married who didn't want anything to do with church thought it was a waste of time. 
is at home right now, sick, missing church. She hates when she can't do it. And, I, I, and I'm blown away by her faith. I'm blown away by her dedication. It's so much powerful. More devoted than even mine at times. I, I just... And people are always amazed that she chose me. Whenever we go to leave a church for whatever reason, you know what they say? Goodbye, Donnie. Casey, do you have to leave? And there's a reason. Okay? This woman met God. I saw her when she came up out of the baptismal waters. She came up and she had tears. And she goes, I felt him fill a hole I didn't know I had. She knew in an instant. She came face to face with God. She laid it all down and she became devoted and trying to live righteous. Has she been perfect? No. She's eagerly awaiting, trying to live that out. And I want to do the same. I could point and name other people in our church who are doing the same thing. I'm so excited and thrilled to be a part of a church that is being filled with more and more people who are wanting to live righteous, who are devout and eagerly waiting for the Messiah. So for everyone, the rest of us, when you think of all the things that you really, really, really want, think of a way that you're living your life. Do the two line up. You really, really, really want a godly marriage, uh, raising your children right to make an impact for kingdom. Whatever it is, is your lifestyle, your current lifestyle, lining up with that? What are the end results if you don't change anything today? Really, this question Are you seeking the fulfillment of God's promises? Are you seeking His promises, which would allow you to die with a deep contentment? Earlier, you all said, yeah, I believe in God's promises. Then live like it. Am I living to see these things come about? If not, then I need to change. This is the parable of the old, two old farmers. They're in a drought. They both go and pray. One goes and sits on the porch, and the other one gets his clothes on and gets on the tractor. Which one believed in the promise of prayer that God will answer? It was the one who got ready to work, who started plowing and said, okay. Not the one who went and sat down. What are we going to be? Are you living to see that? Let me just tell you, that's a hard question and one I fail at so many times. Thankfully, I live under the sovereignty and the lordship of a God who restores and redeems no matter how many times I mess up. What about you? We're going to come to a time where we're going to go back to God in prayer. Then we're going to lift him up in song. And at this point, we need you to understand and ask those answers or those questions and come to the answer. What is it you really, really, really want? What is it that's going to make you allow you to die in peace that you can go to the deathbed and say, yes, Lord, I am ready. What is it going to take? When my grandmother, uh, Grandma Blake was dying, she planned her whole funeral. 
She knew it was going to happen. She was excited about seeing Jesus. That's not how we think of funerals. She was eagerly waiting, and we had to sing the song, I'll Fly Away, at the funeral, because she wanted us to know she was already gone, that she had already met Jesus. My other grandma died the same kind of cancer many years later, and she told me, she goes, don't be sad, I'm going to see Jesus. She's going to see Jesus. She had this expectation, I forgot the word, that word, what? She was expecting to see Jesus. She was anticipating it, eagerly waiting, and she wanted to see Jesus. So yeah, this this world that she lived in with cancer and stuff, oh my goodness, it was bad. But she was going to see Jesus. What about you? Are you living the righteous, devout, eager life that is based on His promises? Let's stay. God, we do thank You. We thank you that you are a God that restores and redeems. God, I thank you that you are a God that empowers and always fulfills your promises. Father, forgive us when we doubt. Forgive us when we fail. When we take away our promise to have you as our Lord. To trust in your sovereignty. Thank you for the example of Simeon. And in such a small few verses, we see what it really can mean to live in peace. So Lord, help us. Help us to live that. To align our will with yours. To set aside our our culture, our wants, our ideas, and totally and truthfully rely on you. Thank you, God, for loving us in spite of the mess we are. And as we come back to a time of of song, let let this reach your ears. Let this resound in heaven. It's not just a song, but an anthem of our faith in who you are. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen.